We're going to continue in our series in Matthew. If you want to turn to Matthew chapter 8, we're starting in verse 17. And one of the things I like about going through the, the Gospels is that when you're going through one Gospel, you have the support of the other three to kind of add information and things like that. So uh, we're, we're calling this uh, the plugged in life. I don't know. if There we go. Oh, it'll come around. Don't worry about it. And before we do that, I have just a few other quick announcements. Uh, we talked about this last week. The youth are going on their nothing is everything tour. And if the fires continue, then it will be nothing is nothing tour. Um, <clears throat> but I looked on a map and as best I could tell, it's not by the campground uh, for very much longer. Um, but uh, we have three ways you can support the youth right now. The first is an art show. That's this Friday. It's going to be awesome to see what our youth can do. They're very, very creative. You'll love it. There's uh, food you can buy and different things like that. Uh, the second thing is youth work days. If you have some work around your house that you want completed, something you've been putting off forever. I don't know. Hold on one second. This thing is jacked up. Um, they will, uh, you can sign up for that and they'll come and you'll pay them a fair wage and they will do a good job. That is the, uh, those are the two criteria. And then lastly, if you just say, I don't want them anywhere near my house, I'm not going to an art show, but I'd love to support them. Uh, when we have our offering at the end of the uh, uh, sermon, you can, uh, you can donate there and just put youth camp uh, on your check or if you want to put it in the envelope. You can put it for youth camp. The second thing is we started our 101, Extending Your Reach Through Spiritual Exercise. It's a class that I teach on Thursday nights starting at 7. We had our first week. There's still one. This is your last chance. So if you missed it on Thursday, uh, you, you kind of missed the intro. We're going to go back this week, talk just a little bit about what we talked about last week, but you'll still be uh, right in there with everyone else. I'd really encourage you to do it. We have right now about 15 people. And um, I know we're getting some more this week, but there's, uh, there's, there's room if you want to join that. We're talking about the plugged in life. And what, we, what we're talking about is for months, we've been talking about the kingdom of God. There's the kingdom of earth down here. It's what we all live in, what we see people striving for, success and retirement plans and college educations and all that stuff is great. But when it becomes our focus, it brings forth death. And we've been talking about the kingdom of heaven, which we have to live in this world. No doubt about that. We're in this world, but the Bible says we're not all about this world. And so the kingdom of heaven brings life. And so now that Jesus has preached this sermon and he's come kind of off the mountain, he's living this plugged in life, a life that is plugged into the kingdom. So what we're going to do in the next several months is look at Jesus and say, what, what are we going to learn from Jesus about our life? How he lives his life, how we live our life. So what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to look at uh, two balloon rides. This, uh, this balloon, uh, and again, I'm not making fun of politicians or any city in the area or whatever. So if you're from Irvine, uh, I'm not making fun of Irvine. Uh, I, it's just, you'll, you'll see as I, as I move along, but this, this balloon ride is at the, what they're going to call the great park. You guys probably read about it in the newspaper, $1.1 billion for this great park. It's uh, 1300 acres. And so far they've spent $6 million just in advertising. And they have this balloon ride, uh, which has been grounded now. Uh, it, it started in February and it's been grounded for safety reasons. Um, well, the thing about it is there are no, 
They didn't violate any safety. There's nothing unsafe about it. It's just the permit they filled out had some missing information, and so they had to ground the thing. This guy, Dick Sim, who used to be on the board, said, if, when you go up in the balloon, what do you see? Three million tons of concrete. That's the ride on that balloon. Now, part of it is kind of exciting. It does go up 500 feet in the air, and it can carry 25 people. And uh, hopefully they're going to open it up July 12th. So you can all go. It's free until the end of the year, and then it's probably like 40 bucks a person. I I don't know how you're going to pay for a $1.1 billion park, but probably a lot of balloon rides. But it's grounded. So it has a big, thick cable. It can only go up. I guess now 499 feet. If it goes up 500 feet, then it violates its permit. Uh, and it can carry 25 people. It's a great ride. 500 feet's pretty high. That's one balloon ride. It's filled with bureaucracy. And again, I'm not coming down on Irvine. It has to be. There's insurance companies to pay and all that kind of stuff. But I want to show you another balloon ride. I don't know if you read about this guy in the newspaper at all. But... Uh, it looks, you can see kind of some fuzz around the balloons. It looks like it was photoshopped. I promise you this is not photoshopped. Okay, I just couldn't get a better picture. The guy's name is Kent Couch. Did you see him in the, in the uh, news? He came back uh, yesterday, right? He went from uh, Bend, Oregon to Idaho, right? Strapped to a lawn chair, okay? <laughs> you can't quite see the lawn chair from here. But this guy is awesome. This balloon ride has no permits, no government agencies, no advertising, although he does own a stop-and-go mart at Bend, Oregon, uh, and if you go onto his website, you'll see the advertisement there for the stop-and-go. Lisa and I are going uh, to Bend, Oregon. I'm going to meet this guy on my vacation. I'm telling you now, I'm going to do everything I can if he's not on Oprah that entire time. But this dude knows how to go on a balloon ride. 13,000 feet is how high he goes. No 500 sissy feet. This is 13,000 13, feet. Yeah, this is, this is serious. That's a, that's, a, that's a kingdom balloon ride, right? As a matter of fact, there's a little video uh, that I have of Kent explaining his contraption. Let me make sure I got maybe a thunderstorm or something. That's what he says. I could just jump out at 13,000 feet. I got a parachute on. I could just jump out. That's what he says. My favorite quote of it was, uh, you know, if, if I'm coming down too fast, I can untie this string. Like, <laughs> He says, Any, anybody can do it. It's easy. By the way, uh, instead of um, uh, restoring Kai's car next summer, this is what uh, Bold is going to be making. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there we go. Anybody can do it. Why isn't everybody doing this? Oh, he's crazy. That's why. The question we're going to ask ourselves today is, what kind of life in Christ do we want? We want 500 feet? I'm sorry, 499 feet? Not a foot more? 
or 13,000. This is really what was going on right now when we look at uh, our scripture, Matthew 8, 18 through 22. And then we're also going to add Luke 9, 60 through 62. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you on any balloon ride you want to go on. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now here's what's happening with Jesus right now. His ministry is cranking right now. Great, he's just preaching sermons that are being knocked out of the park. People are marveling as more and more people are coming. He's starting to heal people, which we saw last week. Lots of healing. I mean, this is it. It's ramping up. This is the, this is the, it's time for him to build a building. This is it. He can get lots of money. He's ready to go. And what happens is, as we see here, he's got a crowd around him. And he says, ah, you know what? Let's cross over to the other side. I have... Our notes this morning are a little more open than they typically are. And uh, it's because I couldn't, I, I tried to get us down to three things. And we'll have three things here, but I didn't feel like that's where we were going. So I just kind of made them blank. So whatever the Holy Spirit's kind of poking on you about, uh, you can write down there. So w- w- where he is now, he's kind of on the, um, on the eastern part of the Sea of Galilee. And he wants to cross over to the other side. If you want to walk, I, I, I did it on a little map thing. I, I didn't think he meant really the other side, but if he did, it's even longer. I kind of went with a natural, like 10 miles. So basically, he's looking around. There's a big crowd. He says, you know what? Let's have a 10-mile walk. And Mark tells us that there's all sorts of other boats around. So you can imagine he's either preaching on a boat uh, right by the shore so that everyone can hear him, or he's on the shore and the boats are behind him kind of listening. We don't know exactly where he was. But he looks over and he says, you know what? It's time for, some, for people to make a decision. Write this on your notes. Jesus is always going to bring you to decision. Just write that out any way you want to remember that. Jesus is always going to bring you to a decision. Whether you don't know Jesus at all or you've known him for years, there's going to come times when he's got, I don't want you to do that. You have to decide, am I going to do that? I want you to do that. We're going to head up. We're going to move out now. We're going to go somewhere else. Jesus always brings us to decision. Why? To advance the kingdom of God. So he's moving these people in, into um, to decision, And we see these three guys, two guys in Matthew and one in Luke. And when you read Luke, it has all three in succession. But, but in Matthew, for some reason, the Holy Spirit only had Matthew uh, do the two guys. But we're going to do all three. And so here's what happens. This, the scribe comes, this teacher of the law comes, and he says, uh, I want to follow you wherever you go. Now, if you read a lot of, of commentaries on this, Everyone says, and we never heard from that scribe again, and he probably, once Jesus gave him the real hard facts, he left. We don't know if he left. So what I want to do this morning is I want to focus on what Jesus said, not pontificate on whether or not this scribe left Jesus or not. Because it's the same things God's telling us in our own lives. And he says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I put my little balloons there to kind of remind us. This is freedom from comfort. And you go, man, did you just say freedom from comfort? 
Like that doesn't make any sense. Freedom would sound like, man, the more comfortable it is, the more free I am. That's America, right? We're free, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, comfort. That's what we want. But think about this. The son of man, this is, this is Jesus' deity in human form, has no place to lie his head. Now, if you look at the way Jesus ushered in his kingdom, like we looked at in Matthew, you got some crazy guy, John the Baptist, with freaked out hair and a camel suit. And, well, I don't know if it was a suit or not. I probably doubt it. Some <laughs> robe or whatever. And he eats locusts and, you know, dips them in honey for whatever reason. Uh, he's, he's, his entourage, his posse, is 12 uneducated guys, uh, you know, walking around. They say, what in the world? What kind of king is this? And he says... The king of this kingdom has no place to lay his head. If you look at John, uh, the end of um, John chapter 7, it says, and everyone went to their own house. That's that's the ending of uh, chapter 7. And then verse 8 starts with, and Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Here's the thing. This is what Jesus is saying. Where you live is completely irrelevant to the picture. Unless God's calling you to move, of course. <laughs> then it's very relevant. But whether you have all sorts of money and you live in a palace or you live in a shack, freedom in Christ means it's going to become irrelevant where I live. See, sometimes we focus on one or the other. We focus, you know, we want less and less and less, and that shows that we're really good Christians and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the person who drives the Escalade, not so much. And the person who drives the Escalade says, oh, I'm blessed by God more than you. Sorry about that, but... You should check into this doctrine a little bit more and you'll get it down. Jesus says, I don't even have a place to, I don't even think about it, is essentially what he's saying. I have freedom from comfort. Paul talked a bit about this. Paul says this. Where we are in in 2 Corinthians is Paul goes through this long list of just really crummy things that happened to him. Like really crummy things. Beatings, imprisonments, people have turned their back on him. He's been arrested. All these just terrible things. But he's getting these visions from God. And so, you know, if you're going to get visions, that's cool. You know, if you get a couple beatings and then a vision, well, you can kind of see the payoff, right? But God says to, uh, God allows him to go through another thing, this thorn in his flesh, because he's getting these visions. And Paul says, I don't, I, I was, to keep me from getting puffed up about myself, God, God allowed me to have this thorn in the flesh. And three times I said, please take it away. So that's where we are with Paul. But he said to me, this is Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. I'm going to let comfort become irrelevant for the kingdom of God. Now, does that mean I sell everything and move because I don't want it? No, it just means where are you in the kingdom of God right now? You drive a nice car? Great. Use it for the kingdom. You drive an old clunker and it breaks down every half hour? Great. Witness to a lot of uh, uh, tow truck drivers (laughs) or whatever (laughs) you want to do. I'll boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. I don't care what's going on. I want his power. So the scribe comes to Jesus and says, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And he goes, awesome. 
one of the first things you're going to see is that you don't even have to worry about all that scribe stuff anymore. Because the scribes, they were well-educated. They were vying for social and economic power. He's saying, don't sweat that stuff. It says, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Think about that. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I would rather be strong on my own strength and have Jesus not have to worry about it. I get everything, I'm comfortable for a little while. And then the Holy Spirit starts going, is this all there is? Is this all there is? Have you ever been there? Where like you, you get to a spot where everything's going pretty good. You're like, ah, oh, my job's going good. Our house is going good. Everything's going good. And so you're there and it's like, yeah, this is awesome. And all of a sudden, this can't, this can't be right. Not because you're comfortable, but just what's, what's the focus of my life? This is what Jesus is saying. There's freedom from that. See, th- a lot of times comfort is that cable that only gets us to 499 feet. And so we're in the basket, but this, this balloon has a basket and there's a cage all around it. You can imagine, you're going to send 25 people up 500 feet. Uh, you know, you guys have been to enough theme parks. Yeah, you know, there's a cable like this thick, and there's a safety cable for that cable, and there's a, you know, all this kind of stuff. I don't think the, the guy driving, it's got, you know, whew, there we go, okay, we're coming down now, right? I don't, I don't see him doing that. That would be awesome if I wasn't in the cage just to watch it, but, uh, but that's not it. And so we have this sense of like, I'm, I'm soaring. And Jesus goes, no, you're not. You're comfortable and things are going kind of good. And you got some semblance of, of, a, of the kingdom of God. You're not lusting as much as you did or you're not all these little things that we get sidetracked on. But I want you much, much higher than that. And here's a BB gun because you're going to need that to get back down. See, when I'm weak, when it's crazy, that's when God says, yeah. Now, we don't force that. See, that's the other side of this is you go, well, the crazier I can get, the more I love Jesus. That's not necessarily true. He's the one who's going to decide whether you're staying on the Mount of Olives or you're staying at Peter's mom's house. Okay, he's the one that decides that. See, here's the thing. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life at 13,000 feet with a bunch of helium balloons and have it abundantly. No matter where you are in the kingdom, where you are in your position, that might be well-educated, making lots of money, fantastic. Not educated, not making lots of money. Whatever the Lord has for you, wherever you are, he wants life. He wants the Holy Spirit constantly refining us. Going, you know what? I got to work on this. I'm, I still got to work on this. He wants us in community. We're iron sharpening iron. He wants us free from comfort to be able to go radical. See, the thing is, Jesus is with the marginalized. He's with the poor. He's with the hurting. So we, what we have to be careful of is that we don't try to get comfortable because as we get comfortable, who are we away from? the poor, the marginalized, and the hurting. Ministry is messy. 
not just full-time ministry, ministry. You know, bringing the gospel to somebody, helping somebody out, helping somebody out with some money and it doesn't go right. Next time you see him, he's got a carton of cigarettes and you're like, oh man, I gave him the money for food, you know. It's messy. But that's where Jesus is. He's in the mess. And here's why this is so awesome. When you're in a mess, Jesus isn't scared to go there. When your life is totally messed up, Jesus isn't, he's, oh, I I can't believe this. Look at the mess you've gotten yourself into. Who did that? It's a fine mess you've gotten yourself. What was that from? Okay, sorry. I watched too much television as a kid. Was it? Oh, Laurel and Hardy. Thank you very much. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Don't put that in your notes. All right. But that's where Jesus is. He's with the hurting. He's with the poor. And so when we're poor in spirit and we're hurting, Jesus is there. And when we're poor in spirit and hurting, the body of Christ is called to come around us. Freedom from comfort. Freedom from having it have to be all great all the time. That's a cable cutter right there. Comfort is a big cable that sits around. We go, oh man, oh, this is terrible. This is, and we're up about this. Jesus said, you don't even need that. Let's cut that. And whew, there we go. Secondly, freedom from security. So another disciple comes and says to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Now, there's a number of uh, things that you can get from this. Some people believe that um, he actually did just need to go bury his father. Uh, others Right. The majority of scholars believe that this is just a saying because it's still a saying in the Middle East now. And the idea is that a man was supposed to, it's part of the honoring thy father and mother, take when their parents were getting older, you know, all the all the assets were going to fall on that firstborn. And so he had to make sure that the parents were taken care of everything that they they were still in control, but he was kind of kind of the mantle was being passed. And then when they passed away, when they were buried, now he got control of everything and he was supposed to then take care of it by himself. And so that term, let me go bury my father, means let me wait until he doesn't ask me to do anything else. I've taken control and now I can follow you. It doesn't matter what it is. Again, it's Jesus's response that's so awesome. He says, follow me. And let the dead bury their own dead. Now think about where Jesus is coming from. And then in Luke, this exact same situation, Luke adds, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So that's why I put it there. That's the way it went down. For some reason, Matthew wasn't inspired to write that second part. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead, for you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I wrote down freedom from security, but it's really more of like freedom from the system, I guess. And I'm not talking about like down with the man. We're not all going to go and, and go after corporate America, okay? But the idea is that any type of structure or system or security that's based on this culture, on this world, is dead. I mean, we, you can open up any magazine, any newspaper, and just see time and time and time again where a person had it all down here, and it meant nothing. They ended up either killing themselves or whatever. Jesus is saying, don't, that's a cable that's allowing you to only get 499 feet. And so for us as a church, we begin to think about the things. What, is there anything that's distracting me 
that I said, well, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go after the kingdom of God fully, but first, but first, is there anything holding you back? Is there any cable you say, well, I would, but that's what Jesus wants to cut here. He wants to say, don't worry about that. Man, but then who's going to take care of the business? Who's going to, what's going to happen? This is, don't worry about that stuff. It's freedom from that kind of stuff. Now, again, we use our brains, right? So we don't all just quit our jobs and go, well, I'm going to go into full-time ministry. Believe me, don't go into full-time ministry unless you're called to go into full-time ministry. Many people make that mistake. But see, look what he says here. In Ephesians, Paul says this, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in all that nonsense. All the things that we thought were going to make our ha- ourselves happy that wasn't in God's will, that's called sin. The things we do for our own pleasure, the things we do outside of God's will, we think, oh, it's going to be great and it doesn't work out, that's sin. While we were in that muck, while we were dead, Jesus came along and said, I'm going to make you alive. I'm going to pull you. I'm going to snap that cord and I'm going to bring you up to 13,000 feet. You're free from that stuff. You're free from it. Instead of being uh, of the dead around Jesus, Jesus, when Jesus was around, life was exploding. Remember, we talked about a while ago about shalom, which is just the idea of peace, everything interwoven. And shalom just doesn't mean peace, the absence of war. It's everything operating the way the kingdom should operate. People are being fed. There's no sickness. There's no um, uh, disease or anything like that. There, there is no war. It's shalom. It's peace. When Jesus enters into a situation, that's what he has to offer, the kingdom of God. We don't need to be worried about our security here. Philippians says, Paul's talking, he says, oh my gosh, like I told you guys, this is what he's saying. He goes, and now I just cry about it. I say it with tears now. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And we can look at that different ways, like, yeah, let's get those enemies. But he goes on, he says, their destiny is destruction. Why do you think he's crying? And he says, I tell you now with tears. Do you think he's crying because... He's mad at these guys. No, he's saying he feels the compassion. He knows, oh, they're just strapped to these cables of sin. They're, oh, but I'll do it. But first I'm going to do this. Let me just get all this stuff figured out first. He says they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. And then he says, but our citizenship... We don't worry about that security stuff, the culture, the, all that. Our citizenship is in heaven. When Jesus uh, raised Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus got a new name. When you look at him in the scriptures after he was raised from the dead, uh, not every time, but most of the time it says, Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. That became his new identity. That's our identity in Christ. I am now John, who Jesus raised from the dead. And so when I go, when the Lord asks me to do something and I'm like, oh, Lord, I know, but I just have to. He says, that's that's the dead part. That's that's done. Let the dead take care of that. You follow me. We're going on a life journey. There's no place to sleep for sure. But it's going to be awesome. 
You're going to get away from that stuff. Thirdly, and then for some of you, uh, most importantly, is a uh, freedom from regret. I don't know why this is not going to the next one. Oh, there we go. Excellent. Maybe my battery's going dead. Oh. Freedom from regret. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. Here we go again. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied again. Now, whether he was going back for cultural reasons to say goodbye or blah, 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 we don't know. Okay. What we're interested in what Jesus says. Here's what he says. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 9, which is where we are, if you go back to verse 51, Jesus, it says he set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew this was it. This was going to be it. He's starting on his way to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to start. You know, right now, he's in great, great time of ministry, but he's, he's heading back to Jerusalem. He sets his face on Jerusalem. And so for him to say, listen, there's no turning back now. This is a big statement for Jesus in the context of where he is. Paul says a similar statement in Philippians. Brothers, I do not consider myself as having taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards, it's a running term. It's like you see, I don't know if any of you guys have been watching any of the um, Summer Olympic trials, you know, to see who's going to the Olympics. But I saw one uh, on, a, uh, I think it was the 800. Yeah, it was the 800. And this guy at the very end strains forward and leaps out and he beats. He had to, the, they take the top three. He beat out the guy who was in third because he just at the very last, I don't know, they don't show it like they do in horses, but I imagine his nose, just the hair on his nose was out there and broke that thing. Okay, well, he had a beard, so I don't know. All right. That's the idea Jesus is saying. I mean, that Paul's saying. No regrets. I am not looking back. Regret is one of the biggest cables we have. We look at our life and we go, you know what? I never should have done that. I'm disqualified to be used for the kingdom. I, 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 I shouldn't have made that mistake. Or I should, have, I should have done that when I had the chance. Jesus is saying, you should have done what? You should have done what? What are you talking about? You got your hand on the plow. We're heading this way. What do you mean you should have done that? Your hand's on the plow. You got the kingdom. We're doing kingdom business right now. And this is the word. This was the word I felt like we needed to hear this morning. Just like your comfort's irrelevant and your security's irrelevant, your past, to some extent, is irrelevant. It's time to move. We can move forward in Christ. Once we set our hand to the plow, wherever we are right now, now is the time. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. I don't consider it forgetting what lies behind. I strain to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Heavenward. I, I want to strap. 150 balloons on me and cut the core with nothing but a BB gun and a blow dart. I love when that guy goes, whoo, like, 
Like you didn't know how a blow dart was. Oh, wow, that's how they work. Okay, very good. Thank you for that. That always cracks me up. There's no regrets in the kingdom. Now there is our conscience to know it's it's perfectly healthy to look back and and go, oh man, Lord, I, I shouldn't have done that. Forgive me. As long as regret brings about change, the higher we go. If regret doesn't bring about change, if it's just hamstringing us, it's a cable. It's a cable. I want to talk a little bit about this no regrets really quickly. There's two kinds of regret. There's regret as it relates to us and there's regret as it relates to God. Regret as it relates to us, we need to move past. See, sometimes you think about your past and there's a regret that now you think, maybe maybe it's just something you said a month ago. I shouldn't have said that. That was so stupid. I was in that board meeting and I blurted that out and that guy just cut me down. Why did I say that? Why am I so stupid? There's another regret that goes, oh, Lord, why did I make that mistake? I damaged your kingdom. It all depends on the focus. If the focus is on God, it's healthy regret. If the focus is on us, it's unhealthy regret. Here's what Paul says. He's writing to this. This is his second letter to the Corinthians. The first one he wrote just blasted him. So he's writing a follow-up letter, and this is what he says. Listen to how crazy Paul is. He says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while, yet now I'm happy. I mean, is he psycho? Paul is psycho. I mean, look, I I, I regret it. No, I don't. Ah, but it caused you sorrow. But now I'm happy that I caused you sorrow. It's like, dude, what is your problem? Well, what's happening is Paul is going, and, and he's going... And this is the part about kingdom ministry that's messy. You ever confronted somebody? You said, dude, your life, it, it ain't. And then you get home and you're like, ah, I probably came down too hard. No, no, I didn't. It needed to be said. This is what Paul's going through. He says, listen, because you were made sorry, uh, not because you were made sorry, not because you have regrets, but because your sorrow led to repentance. Kingdom regret leads us to repentance, which then gets us back on the plow, face forward like we're supposed to be. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so uh, we're not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Is that not true? Haven't you ever had something you did in your life that you regret and you just keep mulling over it and mulling over, oh, I never should have done that investment. Oh, I lost that money. If I had that money now, I could have done this or that. And it's just debilitating. It brings forth death. That's not godly regret. Godly sorrow says, ah, Lord, I blew it. Now, why is that? Because we on our own have no power to get rid of our past. We'll just keep mulling over it over and over and over and it'll get worse and worse and worse and worse. But God has the power to remove that. That's why he says, once you set your hand to the plow, forget it. Hebrew says we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
It says we, we take away these shackles, this sin that so easily entangles us. We, we toss it aside. All that garbage, all that regret that we put on ourselves, done. And Christ comes and he says, here we go. We put our hand on the plow and we go. And then when that thought comes in our mind, it says, why did I do it? The Lord says, what are you talking about? Don't turn around and look back at that. Once you set your hand to the plow, once you decide this is kingdom work, Christ is taking care of all of that. That's a cable that needs to be cut. If you want to write this down, you can. (laughs) Or you can wait for it. There we go. Satan will do his best to get you to enjoy your sin. But if he can't, if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, then he'll try to keep you from enjoying your forgiveness. First, Satan's going to try and do everything. Oh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that, right? Because sin is another cable that holds us. We can only get so far because that sin, what what does the scripture say? It so easily entangles us. It just holds us down like that. So Satan's going to say, oh, don't worry about that. Oh, that's no big deal. Don't be, that's just conservative. That's too conservative. Things have changed now. All this kind of stuff. And you go, no, no, the Lord, I know this is wrong. Then he switches on you. Yep, it is wrong. It's very wrong. You should feel, you make me sick. What is he doing? Another cable. He can't stop us from the Holy Spirit getting on us. So he goes, yeah, you know what? You're worthless. Don't even put your hand on that plow. Look what Jesus is saying. Come on, let's go. Put your hand on the plow. Forget that stuff. We are in love. We are in love.